Adam, and welcome back to Unapologetically Black Unicorns. Yay! Woo-hoo. I'm always, um, I always say I'm so excited. I have seriously no other adjective other than to say I'm very excited to have a guest this week, and we're going to talk about art, we're going to talk about peers. I just learned we're going to talk about couples in a way that I have never heard before. So, but that's what you do. We come on this podcast and we hear all sorts of new and very cool information from amazing, amazing people who are unapologetically Black unicorns. And I have a guest today. Her name is Nicole Donya, and I am going to let Nicole introduce herself. So say hey. So great to be here with you, Karis. Uh, Again, my name is Nicole Donya. I was known in the peer community as Nicole Plata prior to taking my husband's last name. But yeah, I am the founder and CEO of Hope and Equity Without Borders, a nonprofit organization seeking to bring inclusion and digital literacy to the developing world. I also have a background in peer advocacy at the county uh, level in San Francisco and at the state level in California. Cool, cool. Yeah, I've known you for quite some time. And suddenly I got this surprise, something that I did not know about you. Well, there were two things I didn't know about you. But the most important one that I want to talk about is um, artwork. So I I saw like a posting that you had about a show that you're going to have to help your um, nonprofit. And I thought, oh, that's really fantastic. Pottery. And I thought, oh, yeah, she went out and she bought the pottery and she's selling pottery. No, you made the pottery. I'm such an idiot. <laughs> and um, I mean, I was blown away by the beauty, the intricacy, the colors, the, the whole nine yards of it. So I reached back out to you and said, OK, wait, wait, tell me about this pottery and your journey as a potter. So can you talk a little bit about that? Like, like, how did you how did you get into pottery? Oh, well, thanks, guys. It's kind of funny. It's a long time in coming. So you have to know, first and foremost, that I'm an artist and creator at my core. It's who, who I am. And, you know, I've gone decades ignoring this fact about who I am. And when I do that, it typically is a detriment to my mental health and just my sense of well-being and who I am as a person. Um, I started pottery back when I was in the seventh grade. I grew up in East San Jose, um, predominantly Vietnamese and Hispanic neighborhood in, Cal- in San Jose, California. And, um, you know, my very under-resourced school, middle school, had a had a kick wheel, metal uh, pottery wheel that my art teacher graciously opened his doors even beyond my art class period to allow me to throw on the wheel and get into the clay and just practice and um, as a way of keeping me out of trouble you know because I got into mm-hmm. a lot of trouble in middle school I was arrested when I was 13 years old so it was it really brought a lot of calm um, in the chaos that, that I grew up in in my neighborhood and you know and the peace and a lot of the violence that was kind of existing in that in that region of San Jose um it was funny because when I was I was first diagnosed with depression when I was 13 years old and my stepdad bought me a, an electric wheel and he said stop being depressed <laughs> you know like Here you have you have your own wheel you know and you got me a kiln also but at 13 you don't know how to operate a kiln it's probably really <laughs> dangerous and um you know I think I got sucked sucked into like 
classmates and social life at school and just kind of neglected uh, that part of me for much of high school and um, into college. It wasn't until, you know, I went to move to San Francisco for school and college at San Francisco State that, um, you know, I kind of started just coping interestingly with mental health challenges that I wasn't aware of at the time. I'm a very spiritual person and my spiritual practice is a huge part of my recovery, but I was doing things that were unsustainable for my mental health. Like it would take me praying at Twin Peaks or Ocean Beach for eight hours a day for me to feel some sort of stable. (laughs) And, Mm. you know, when you have class and eventually work, you know, you can't just pray eight hours a day to stay stable. (laughs) It's not sustainable. (laughs) And, um, so luckily, uh, some of my roommates encouraged me to seek out some help because they were just concerned about my mental well-being. And and that's at that point at 22 years old, I was diagnosed with PTSD, a complex form of PTSD. And at that point, I realized I needed to do something different and get back into art to to as a as a new way of coping, you know, and and mm-hmm. not an or a new old way of coping. So right. I started uh, spray painting murals in the Mission District in San Francisco. I started cutting out my own spray paint stencils, and I started doing uh, pyrography, which is a uh, wood burning. So I actually uh, can wood burn portraits into wood, and I started doing those things on a regular basis and. Uh, that really helped me a ton. And I started getting to a place of balance and probably one of the more healthier times in my life. Um, But then, you know, you graduate from college, you get your first big girl job, and you move up and get big boss lady jobs. (laughs) And then you you start, you know, you start getting into work and and it just, you forget, you know, how much, or at least I don't want to say you statements, but I know for, I, I forgot you know, how, how crucial that part of me is to my mental well-being and, and to my own detriment. You know, I I found myself in a position where I was having panic attacks and meltdowns before, during, and after work. And, you know, just with the global pandemic and just, you know, had some stressors come up in my family at that time. And I just couldn't, I just couldn't carry it under the weight of it all. Yeah. I, I had to make a decision that was really difficult for myself, but I felt like was courageous for me. And that was to take a step back from work and to focus on my mental health and focus on me being healthy. And so what I, I ended up doing, signing up for an intensive outpatient program. And in doing that, I realized, you know, I can't talk about for trauma for 12 hours a week and, and not have some sort of outlet to, mm you know, be healthy, like to actually recover and not just feel depressed even more. So So I signed up for a pottery studio and I got back to the wheel after 20 years and Mm. forgot how to even work with the clay. And I started with the pedal on the wrong side. And I, I, it was really (laughs) like riding a bike. It was not, I mean, it did after a while, but it took a lot Mm. of practice but, you know, I felt like in getting back into the clay, I really, in learning how to center the clay, I was really feeling like I was trying to center my being. Like the clay is chaos and disordered and marred and, and it's dirty. And it's, it's all, it's, 
it doesn't have like purpose until you mold it right Mm -hmm. and and molding it and kind of creating this beauty and purpose out of the chaos of the clay it just gave me a visual for what I had hoped you know I could do through my IOP program in my own life so I have a question this is um (laughs) I love your father yeah here's a wheel here's a cone stop being depressed, right? But your father (laughs) was kind of right in a way, right? Like he was saying, here's some tools for you to use to to help you out of your depression. Of course, you know, you have to know how to use those tools. You just can't throw it at a 10-year-old and boom, they can use it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, kind of the right idea. But, um, you know, I I was thinking about, um, I've been in IOP programs before um, years ago, and um, I had that same feeling of, you know, at first it was like, oh, wow, this is so helpful. And then after about the third day, I was like, wait, I have to talk about this every day, all day. And it was just emotionally exhausting and I needed kind of a break. So I know one of the things they did in my program is they had two different parts that I really gravitated towards. Um, One was um, drumming and music. It was a guy who was like a music therapist And um, I just love that group. I was always prepared with like my tune that I wanted to play or talk about or, you know, beat on the drums or what have you. So, so actually now I have a music room and in my music room, I have all sorts of different types of drums and and drum heads and things like that. And then the other thing that I really enjoyed was um, going down to the art studio. Now our, our IOP program was on a, on a hospital campus. So when we went to the art room, it was the same art room that uh, patients who were either inpatient voluntarily or inpatient involuntarily could use. So nothing was in there that was a sharp anything. Everything was a dull something, right? <laughs> you know, it was, I don't even think they had a dull set of scissors. If you wanted to cut something, you had to tear it, right? If you wanted to do something, you know, good luck getting the pencil sharpener because it was behind some locked door that somebody else had to go and like sharpen the colored pencil or the crayon or whatever. So, so I opted to, um, to, to learn how to use paint and started painting these boxes. And um, I would just get immersed in these boxes. And I sent one of them to my mom after I, you know, left that program. My mom's like, this is just, be-. my mom's an artist. She's a very fine artist. She went to art school. She's like, this is beautiful. And I'm thinking, wait, what? Right. We ended up selling some of them and somebody said, oh, you're the artist. And I'm like, what? Who's the artist? You're the artist. Didn't you make this or didn't you make that? And I'm like, oh yeah, that is me. So when you said you're an artist, you know, I just love that. Number one, that that is kind of this identity of who you are and how it, how it kind of resonates so much with you. But um, in the IOP program, were there other things besides talking about your trauma all day long? Were there arts or music or... No, and and ours unfortunately, I think the the PHP, the partial hospitalization program, had more arts and yoga in the afternoons. But mm-hmm. I was in a, you know, I was in a, the twelve hour program a week. I see. So mm-hmm. I only got the fun educational part. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, people don't know this. I think this is this is important to talk about because you go in these programs and the program happens behind closed doors. So everybody outside of it, whether it be our family members or, you know, even the public at large, 
I don't think they're clear about exactly what happens. And some of it can be very, very helpful. I'm not, again, um, denigrating any part of those kind of programs yet, you know, and I'm so glad you found that, yeah, I need to do something else to help me kind of um, manage through the day when you're talking about stuff that's really tough. So when you went back and you started, um, you signed up for the pottery class. So what happened to, by the way, your your uh, little kid wheel and <laughs> the kiln? Oh, I, I donated it to a high a middle school in San Francisco. So, oh, okay, very yeah. cool. Very cool. It was so when you a lot of dust for a while. <laughs> <laughs> I sorry, I just still think that's the cutest story ever. But um, th- when you went back um, and and signed up for this pottery class and started to play around with the clay, how did you? figure out that that was the thing that was going to help you like there are probably a gazillion things you could have done but you went back to this clay like how did that how did you remember to go back and do that well I think all forms of art have been an outlet for me but I think I needed something that I could smash and like get dirty with a little bit and then again for me there's um the spiritual component there's scriptures about how God compares us to clay Um, and how he molds us like clay and I think at that time it was not just about doing art as a stress reliever but it was also about building a spiritual practice that helps me feel connected to God when my mind is in chaos because you know sometimes you know I don't I don't have time to pray eight hours a day anymore and I don't um, and sometimes you know when I read scriptures I I hit roadblocks in connecting with them emotionally. I believe that me being a creator of things, I'm participating in connecting with the creator and also in forming something out of nothing. And there's a lot I I needed to learn about throwing Mm -hmm. to do better at it. And one thing was being gentle, you know, like Mm -hmm. with the clay, like, if I'm fast or like too rough or something like that, the the whole thing will fall over, you know, Mm -hmm. I have to like, you know, there's certain times for certain parts of, of how I form the clay. And so sometimes it's fast and sometimes that's usually with a lot of water. And then sometimes when I want to pull up, I have to make it dry and be very gentle and Mm -hmm. still and, and patient and, and it kind of just reminds me of like what I believe God is with me as I'm working on my mental health and things that are challenging for me. He's gentle. Mm-hmm. He's patient. Um, he sticks in there with me. And mm-hmm. so it kind of is a reminder for me, like what, you know, the compassionate self-talk I need to have. Sometimes when I'm forming a piece on the wheel you know, it doesn't, it's kind of lopsided a little bit and I got to strengthen it and like straighten it out a little bit. And then I can form it into something beautiful. Mm -hmm. And it makes me think, oh, wow, that means that the creator can do that with me too. Yeah. And I I like this idea that, you know, this is a, it's a process, right? That, you know, we're we're never going to be exactly perfect for lack of a better word, (laughs) but there, (laughs) there's always this, this process of, 
molding and shaping and molding and reshaping and you know something's happened so it's knocked you off a little bit to the left so you need to be <laughs> helped a little bit to the right right i mean because okay so yes i'm gonna admit i'll say i'll serve my t- i serve my time with clay so <laughs> i don't know how else to put it disclosure i went to seminary well big surprise everybody if i didn't talk about that before so when i was in um, seminary one of the professors at this i was actually working in one of the schools and also going to school and one of the professors in in one of the um, schools uh psychology he's he's a potter and so he used to bring some of the staff over to his house to um uh, get on the wheel and and uh like have this experience with play and then to actually break bread together and commune together. So it was all about sort of creating a community with staff, using play as the medium to sort of get us there, to teach us a new skill, and then to like break bread and and do that sort of thing. So I was all excited. I was like, let me throw this clay. Because it was after a day of work, you know, and you're at a seminary, so it's not like you can curse off or anything like that. So I was like, yeah, I'm going to be throwing this clay for dang sure. So I'm like throwing the clay and I'm like pushing it and pulling it and, you know, smacking it and all this kind of stuff. I had a really hard time centering it because that to me was the hardest is getting it to sit centered. And you can tell when it's not, it kind of wobbles like a bad wheel yeah. on a tire. What I, what I kind of did with it was, which was sort of breaking a rule, but not breaking a rule. I said, okay, well, I don't know that I can center it, but maybe it being uncentered is the way this piece is supposed to be, that it's supposed to be uncentered. It's telling this story about not being centered, but um, finding some beauty also in not being centered. So I actually um, kept making pieces that were off center. I was like, you know, instead of the lip being perfectly round, I would push it out in a really weird way, you know, with intention though, because it was about the creative process and that creative process having meaning, like me giving it meaning, right? Yeah. Like you said, I really enjoyed it. It was really gross. I don't like getting my hands dirty. I'm a germaphobe, <laughs> <laughs> but I did it. I did it. And um, I I can really resonate with a lot of what you're saying. It's funny. Uh, I love what you said because, uh, you know, that's the cool thing about art. There's not really a wrong way of doing it. One of the things, you know, I struggle with is I have some paralysis on my left shoulder from my um, brain surgery and I can't really do the motion to pull up very tall. So I use a stick and I um, use a stick to pull up and it's not traditional, you know, and my teacher is like, you know, you know, Cole, do you? And it gets wobbly sometimes, but there was some, there was another potter at the studio and she goes, you know, if you want perfect, go to target. And I was Mm. like, yes. Yes, mm. you know, and and it hit me. It's like that's what being an artist is. There is no perfect, and it doesn't need to be perfect. It just needs to be complete. And I think if you want perfect, you know, whatever's you can go to your department store, go on Amazon. But if you want a work of art, it's not going to be perfect, and that's right. perfectly okay. And that's the same with humanity, right? We're perfectly complete and perfectly imperfect. And that's totally okay. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Snaps, claps, thumbs up, all that stuff that I do when I'm like in total 1000% agreement. Um, And I also saw um, as we were kind of sharing emails back and forth, you showed me also some of your um, drawing and um, again, sort of um, using um, art to communicate a message um, to folks. So 
Are you okay talking a little bit about um, what you shared? Yeah, for sure. Most of my drawings, well, I've been drawing my entire life, but some of the more original drawings that I have were from when I was diagnosed with complex PTSD. And that was a time when I also felt like I was trying to develop a spiritual practice that I could connect with. So I found scriptures that I had a hard time identifying with, and I started drawing myself in the scriptures to kind of connect with them and like kind of visualize how they actually applied to me. And then, you know, when I was working in San Francisco, I worked with transition age youth and a lot of them had some pretty um, traumatic stories. Um, And in working with them, you know, I'm I'm an empath, so I feel what others feel. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I took those stories home with me. And so a lot of times the drawings were, you know, me processing the emotions I felt um, with working with young people and the vision I had and, and to kind of remind myself of the hope of why I got into this work in the first place and to kind of visualize, at least on my drawing, what I had hoped my effort and my heart and my what I was pouring my soul into what it would produce in the long run, even if I couldn't see it in the short term. Yeah, it was quite beautiful. And the thing that I like about art too, is that um, you don't have to have a quote unquote language, if you will, to understand the message, right? You can look at it, you can infer your own message. It has a message or meaning to you. You don't have to read English, read Spanish, read German, read, you don't have to read anything other than, um, you know, being able to visually see the art or being able to feel the art for people who may not um, have vision. And that's the other thing I like about pottery too, is that you can feel it if you struggle with being able to see it and kind of imagine or know what it is by by feeling it. So, um, and I shared with you too, a piece that I had done when um, I was really struggling and um, I had sort of I call it skipped out of life, <laughs> meaning life was still happening. I was still around, um, but I had sort of checked out as in, you know, wasn't going to work, wasn't going to school, wasn't doing what I was supposed to be doing because I, I literally couldn't. Sometimes it happens. I just go into total shutdown and I can't even pick up the phone and say, I'm not going to be in work today. I'm not feeling well. Like I can't even talk to people. I don't think there was texting then. If there was, if there was, I didn't text. And so, you know, luckily I was working at the seminary and um, my, my boss knew that I'm not the person who would not just show up to work. So, so um, my supervisor, my boss called me um, and eventually she showed up at my place <laughs> kind of going, we're just worried about you. We went, I'm not okay. Yeah, I'm okay, but I'm not okay. I just need a little space. Okay, fine. Okay, fine. Um, you know, we might come by and bring you some soup or stuff like that. So they were actually really very supportive and checking in on me to make sure I was okay. And also giving me enough space to get through what I needed to get through. But, but the other thing is I was flunking out of school <laughs> at the same time. Hmm. But um, I kept having this repetitive phrase and it's a form of stimming for me. Either I draw figure eights all the time. You know, I just continually draw figure eights, figure eights, figure eights or infinity symbols. And I can write phrases over and over and over and over again, really, really, really tiny. And so I had written this, this phrase and I don't even remember what it is. I'd have to go back and look. And I was writing it over and over and over again. And then I started doing what I call my spiral drawing or figure eight drawing. And I, um, you know, was stuck on the story of uh, Adam and Eve in the garden. And um, this idea that somehow 
Eve had caused the downfall of the world, right? <laughs> that she had uh, been tempted by this the serpent and snake and had eaten the ap- apple knowing full well she shouldn't have eaten the apple or the f- piece of fruit, but she just bit it because, you know, the snake told her to, and, and Adam was off frolicking somewhere and nowhere to protect her. That's the story that we understand. But when, when I actually read the story, not not in, in English, but in probably Aramaic or something, because I was an Old Testament scholar at the time, I was like, wait a minute, that's not what it says. Eve relentlessly fought off this this serpent. She just didn't, the serpent, serpent didn't go eat the apple. What You know, you don't care what God says, eat the apple. It's not going to be a problem. She was like, oh, I'm not eating it. No way, babe, not going to happen. Right? <laughs> and and she was fighting this this uh, this serpent. And, and I don't know what caused her at the end to kind of have to end up eating this this uh, this uh, piece of fruit, apple. Mm-hmm. But when it happened, God called both Adam and Eve in the garden. And the way that he called them, it wasn't as if he said to Adam, like screaming at Adam way over there because Adam was very far. He actually called to Adam and the verb was is one that is used when you are close by. So he is close by Eve. He was close by Eve the whole time. Uh, Adam, hello, are you not going to help protect Eve? Are you not going to smack off the snake? What are you going to do? And so people understand this now as sort of the silence of Adam and Adam not protecting Eve. Mm -hmm. And so I ended up sort of drawing this whole thing out, actually writing it out in Hebrew on top of all of my musings underneath. But but at the end of the day, um, as I described the picture, which is either important or not important, I was able to talk about this with my professor and say, you know, this is what I wanted my thesis to be about was the fact that they were both there together and she was unprotected. Um, and we need to understand that, you know, we have to protect each other, that sometimes things will come up um, and we're looking to each other to protect each other, that we don't easily give in to things we do fight. She did fight. That's not how we understand the story. So how do we correct the narrative? Mm-hmm. And that worried me. It really worried me. And I said, so I, I I don't know how to talk about it, but here's the picture. And I showed her the picture and we went through the whole thing. And he said, yeah, you're getting an A. I was like, what? <laughs> so that was my paper. I didn't need to write the paper. I was able to talk about it, talk about the biblical references at the time um, and uh, demonstrate that I knew the material. And I think that's like you as, when you're talking about not being able to use your shoulder to um, pull up on the on the clay, that you use a stick, that where's the accommodation? Because you can do it, you know how to do it, but you have to do it in a little bit different way. That's the beauty of, of art and also of people who understand that and say, hey, uh, you do you, or as I say for unapologetically Black unicorns, you be you. Get it? You be you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that was very long and roundabout, but kind of an important kind of segue about, um, you know, what we've been talking about. So when you do your artwork and now you have a a show and you're going to be talking about pots and no, wait, is it pots and paws? Pots Pots and and peas? Yes. Pots Pots and peas. Okay. So say a little bit about that and then how it supports the work that you're doing to help folks who are in developing nations have uh, access to things that they need to help with their wellness. Yeah. So, well, Pots and Paws, so it's just basically my title of my, and it's not quite a company yet, but just the work that I'm doing because so much of our, so much of the pottery I'm creating is to find my own little piece of peace. (laughs) 
And my hope is that the the pottery I create would bring that peace. It's like what's that Marie Kondo? If it doesn't give you joy, get rid of it. You know, mm-hmm. right. so, kind of like you know. If hopefully that the pieces I make create joy and peace and bring that to others and can be a gift as I'm giving to myself, I can be bringing into the world something that can be a gift to others. But yeah, so all sales of my pieces go directly to Hope and Equity Without Borders. And the work we're doing is we're bringing inclusive um, digital literacy programming for young people in rural Panama. So we have um, access to a campus, actually, with classrooms and workshops. And we are building the computer labs with partnerships with different universities, to bring digital literacy programs in Spanish and then um, creating a pipeline into technology for young people in this region who actually their education goes up to only the eighth grade. So this is a huge um, resource because down in Latin America, a lot of people don't have access to Wi-Fi and they just have the data on their phones. Uh, So WhatsApp is used for everything. But, you know, things like writing an email or how to set up a basic website, things like that, those skills are, you know, not as um, accessible as they are here in Silicon Valley. So really hoping to build a bridge between here and and, uh, Latin America. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, so that's, you know, that's the hope is that all sales would go to that effort. Wow. Very cool. So we'll put a link to that in the um, description so people can see your artwork and maybe purchase your artwork and help the cause. Um, But, you know, you're also giving in other ways, as I found out, like every time I talk to you, it's like, well, that's brand new information. (laughs) But, um, you know, you were, you were talking about you and your husband. And so, um, and, and thinking about, you know, how do you talk about couples and kind of what couples do and the struggles that couples have and the joys that couples have, but y'all do it kind of, it's a really interesting way. And I was like, wait, what? So why don't you share a little bit about this new venture with you and your your husband? Because I was blown away by it. Oh, yeah. So it's it's quite cringeworthy at moments and quite comedy at other moments. <laughs> <laughs> so um, my husband and I just started a podcast called Crypto for Couples. And really the goal of the podcast is to help couples navigate the complexities of investing in crypto as a couple. So, um, you know, relationships are complicated. Crypto is probably, I don't know if it's more or less, It's that's a, up for debate, um, but then you combine the two and it gets downright explosive at times. And so we're pretty honest and vulnerable about the challenges we went through in the past couple of years of investing. And there's been different highs and lows in the market. It's a very risky asset investment uh, class. So we try to share really candidly about what we learned the hard way (laughs) to help Mm -hmm. other people hopefully avoid some of the pitfalls. We don't ascribe to be, you know, marriage counselors or, you know, or uh, financial planners, but we just like to share candidly about, you know, the, the obstacles we went through and how we're learning to uh, work together um, moving right. forward. So using another art form of narrative storytelling, if you will, yes, of exactly. uh, helping couples go through the complexity of 
couplehood, I guess, as well as adding in the crypto bit, which I would not understand. So I probably listen in just for the crypto bit. I don't, I don't have to worry about the couple bit yet. I'll have to worry about that a little bit later. So yeah, it sounded really fascinating. So um, as we start to wrap up, you drop lots of amazing wisdom as everybody does in our conversations. But you know, is there one thing that you want our listeners to know that you haven't said, or that you want to emphasize if there's anything that you have said, and I call this wisdom dropping. So what wisdom would you like to drop? I would like to say that one of my personal mantras is that if I'm caught in between two decisions and none of them are inherently bad or wrong, or, you know, maybe one may be good or maybe maybe other one seems good, but I'm not sure which one to take. I always think to take the road that requires the most faith. And I don't know, whatever faith that means with faith in yourself, faith in your higher power, faith in, you know, God, if that's what you ascribe to. But I feel like the choice that requires the most faith is the most pleasing choice at the end of the road. Um, So I think that's for me whenever I'm caught in between two decisions. And sometimes it's... um, Getting married to my husband, for example, required more faith, (laughs) (laughs) just to be quite frank. Um, You know, that that seemed to be the more worthwhile choice. So that's what I would share. Wow. That is seriously deep. And (laughs) I think that is so powerful because I think to to me, it seems like also a way to grow. You know what I mean? That it can, you can also grow so much when you put faith at the forefront. Um, And again, Mm -hmm. faith, however you want to describe it. So, wow. Thank you for sharing that. And thank you for joining me on Unapologetically Black Unicorns as usual. This has been a lovely and power-filled conversation. Thank you. Thank you, Karis. Thank you for having me. So we're going to wrap up this week and um, y'all know what to do. You need to just subscribe and also please do um, share because I think the information that Nicole shared in her personal story, you know, those kind of things can really help other people as well. So make sure to share, comment, subscribe, and we'll see you next week on Unapologetically Black Unicorns. 